Our reading today comes from 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 3, verses 5 to 18. And you can find it on page 1160 of the Church Bibles. That's 2 Corinthians, chapter 3, at page 1160. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not this ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hey, thanks, Helen, very much indeed for reading that. It's a massive help. My name's Jeremy, and it's great to be able to see you here at Trinity Church Islington. A huge welcome to you. It's good to see you here. Uh, if you've got those uh, Bibles handy, then do keep them open. It's going to be a massive help. Page 1160, as we carry on with our series, The Gospel According to Weakness. The Gospel According to Weakness. But first, we're going to pray. So if you're a praying person, why don't you join me? Let's pray. The words we've just sung, speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. And I pray, Father God, that we come to your word as hungry people. I pray that we come ready to be fed. And I ask, Father, we digest the words that we have before us. And so I pray, Father, we find good nourishment for ourselves as Christians. Uh, please uh, grow us in our faith. Please bring glory to your own name as we learn more about what you've done and more about who you are. We pray, Father, you'd speak to us, you'd address us this afternoon. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've uh, come across uh, this book uh, on the screen. Quite a famous book uh, called Alice Through the Looking Glass, written quite a long time ago. 
In fact, it was, uh, it was written at that time in history when people thought that what, what children really needed were stories that were going to scare them stupid, that were actually slightly disturbing. I mean, I, I, that was the thing, wasn't it, maybe 100 years ago? Uh, you know, stories like Hansel and Gretel and uh, Little Red Riding Hood, basically stories where children got eaten. That was considered to be an appropriate sort of material to feed the young people in our society. I mean, how we got from there to the Teletubbies, I will never understand. That is a, a social revolution. Uh, but there's one famous bit in, in Through the Looking Glass where Alice, who's the sort of hero of the story, she's talking to Humpty Dumpty about the word glory. About the word glory. Uh, there's glory for you, says Humpty Dumpty. I don't know what you mean by glory, says Alice. Of course you don't till I tell you, says Humpty Dumpty. When I use the word... It means just what I choose it to mean, nothing more and nothing less. Well, Humpty Dumpty wants to define the word glory. I don't know how you define the word glory. What sort of uh, image does that sort of conjure up in your mind? Glory. It's something you want? I, mean, I, I think we generally use it to mean fame. That's normally the kind of thing that we mean. So um, the fame that comes with military success... There's a film called Glory. It's a bit old now. It's about a, it's a war film, basically. We talk about death or glory. Might take you into battle. Or um, the sort of fame that comes through sport. So um, uh, you probably read the headlines just a few weeks ago. Emma Radkani achieves US Open glory. That was the headline in the, in, in the paper that I read. Well, sometimes it's just, it's just something that looks glorious. Uh, so in the paper this week, it says something about the trees. Is it nature notes. I don't, I don't know. Read, read the nature notes. Something about trees having autumn glory. It just means they look great, you know, with all the leaves turning red and brown. The thing you might not associate with the word glory is the kind of Christianity that, that Paul's been talking about and, in fact, demonstrating in his life. Uh, and which he describes in his letter to the Corinthian church. He's now on his third missionary journey. He's been trogging around the, the Mediterranean, you know, up, up through Turkey, uh, you know, places like Laodicea, Ephesus, Troas, Philippi. He's been setting up tiny churches and then causing riots and getting put in prison and, and that kind of thing, and beaten, generally feeling weak. And the, and the Corinthians, as Paul writes this letter, having to choose between two different versions of Christianity, two alternatives. Uh, there's, um, there's the one kind that Paul is demonstrating, and then there's the other kind, which the new leaders in Corinth are all about, which, uh, which is a Christianity which is neat and tidy, successful, strong and impressive. And, and Paul's saying quite unashamedly that his kind of ministry has the glory. It has the glory. He's been saying that all the way through chapters 1 to 3. Chapters 1, he's saying, this is, is this kind of Christianity which is for people's comfort? And then beginning of chapter 2, is this kind of Christianity which has got pure motives? And then the end of chapter 2, do you remember? Is this kind of Christianity which has the smell of Jesus about it? Smells of Jesus. And so, 
chapters 1 to 3 are really this portrait of, of what Paul would call authentic gospel ministry. It looks incompetent, but it isn't. It's glorious. It is glorious. And if the Corinthian church needed to hear that, um, I imagine we need to hear it too, don't you? Imagine we need to hear it. You know, have we forgotten the glory of, of, of Christian ministry? Have, have we, have we, is that us? You know? Paul's saying, you know, if, if, if this afternoon you, you, you can't see the glory of Christian ministry, then this is for you. This part of my letter is, is for you. If you find yourself ashamed and embarrassed of some of the things that go on in, in Christian ministry, uh, if, you, if coming to church on a Sunday and if talking about Jesus Monday to Saturday is, is a drag, <laughs> then we've forgotten the glory of it all. And the Apostle Paul wants us to see that all over again. Two main headings then this afternoon, and they both come from verse 12, verse 12 of, uh, of chapter 3. Um, verse 12 says this, therefore, since we have such a hope, that's looking back to verses 5 to 11, it's sort of summarizing that, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, and that's looking forward to verses 12 to 18. So here's the first heading from 5 to 11, have hope, have hope. Um, why? Because new covenant ministry has greater glory because new covenant ministry has greater glory if, if you're casting around for a, a, a sort of picture of, of glory in in the bible you could you could do worse than go back to exodus 38 exodus 38 where the ministry of moses was was glorious and uh Really, this first part of the passage is, is, is sort of based on that part of Exodus. So I, I put it up on the screen. Have a look. This is what happens. It says, Moses was there. This is on Mount Sinai. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he, that's the Lord, wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he'd spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. That is glorious. And God's handwriting on stone. Is that not an amazing thing? Have you ever stopped to think about that? And what, what did it look like when that was being written? I mean, like a laser beam or something? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know how God wrote that on tablets of stone. But it's the maker of the world engraving his will for human beings on flat pieces of rock. Is that, is that not exciting? You don't actually look terribly excited. But is, is, it, is it exciting? Yes, Jeremy, is the, is the answer I'm looking for. Okay. God writes with a clarity which you don't generally find nowadays, do you? Um, no other gods, no idols, no misusing God's name. Remember the Sabbath. With an extraordinary clarity. And um, 
And the glory it came with was absolutely incredible. Mount Sinai with a, with a thunderstorm, thick cloud, fire, mountains shaking, the sound of a trumpet getting louder and louder and louder. And then the shining face of Moses. What did it look like? I don't know, but it was real. It was real. That's the glory. But Paul's point is, in the end, it doesn't really do anyone any good. It didn't do anyone any good because verse 7, chapter, chapter 3, verse 7, it brings death, not life. Can you see that? Now, if this, now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? It, it brought death, not life. The Ten Commandments basically say that we're guilty on ten counts. Can you keep them? I can't. And then it brings condemnation, not righteousness. That comes in chapter 3, verse 9. Condemnation, not righteousness. The Ten Commandments prove that things are bad between you and God, but they can't make things good between you and God. They just don't have that power. And then it doesn't last. Chapter 3, verse 11, it doesn't last. It's transitory. So it all adds up to trouble, yeah? You know, when Moses takes the maths lesson... Uh, then, then simple addition goes like this. Um, God's will plus human sin equals total disaster. Uh, there, there was a certain glory to the Ten Commandments, but, but Paul's point is that, this, but that a new covenant ministry is even more glorious. What does that mean? Well, it, it, it means that when, when, when Jesus died, he looked weak and he got killed. Yeah? But that was the beginning of a new covenant, a, a new agreement that God puts on the table between him and people. And this time it's not written on pieces of stone with a, with a laser beam, however God, however God did it. This time it's written with the Spirit. A new agreement between us and God. And that's where verse 6 goes. Have a look at that. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, that's the letter of the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It doesn't, it doesn't look so impressive on the outside as a man dying on a cross. It doesn't look impressive, but scratch the surface... And a, and a glory shines out of it. This time there's, there's life that comes from the cross and not death. And, and there's righteousness. We're put right with God, not condemnation. And this is something that lasts. It lasts forever. Not something that fades away. And if your mass lesson is brought to you by the Apostle Paul, simple addition under the New Covenant curriculum says God's will plus human sin equals righteousness. For anyone who comes to Jesus. See, it, it, it's even more glorious. So you can see the picture on the screen. Um, if you go out at night time and it's a clear night, then the, the moon is, 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 shines quite brightly. You can see, you see quite a lot by the light of the moon. Uh, but on a sunny day, then, I mean, the moon's shining as brightly, but um, it, 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 
the sun shines a lot more brightly, yeah? You can hardly see the moon because the sunshine is, is pouring down from the sky. And the new covenant is like the sunshine. It's like the sunshine because you, you hear through the Spirit about Jesus' death for your sins. And, and, and if you've heard it right, you go away a righteous person with your head held high. Not out of arrogance, but out of, out of knowing that God has dealt with your sins permanently in Jesus. And there's real glory there, isn't there? So how dare we feel hopeless about the ministry of the gospel? You know, if, if, if we could organize this event, this would be an event to organize. Uh, Angel, uh, I'm sure you know, is built on a hill. That's why the, the canal tunnel has to go underneath it. Um, Islington Hill sort of reaches its summit at um, Angel. I mean, if we could make the ground shake somehow, I mean, we'd probably do something on the northern line, couldn't we? It makes sort of Angel shake, and if, if we could have uh, fire and smoke, we need to tell the, need to tell the fire brigade first. And then um, we could make some stone tablets. We could hold an event called The Best Rules Ever Written and write the Ten Commandments on them. And uh, we need someone, Patrick, we could appear in sort of mosaic robes. We could organize his face to shine. You know, that, it would get people's attention at the very least. But the irony is, you know, Patrick's sitting in Starbucks reading the Bible with a friend. That would be more glorious more glorious a thing he'd be talking about Jesus by the spirit no, no special effects you know just explaining life and righteousness and eternity there is greater glory in that than there was on Mount Sinai you know, Patrick's ministry at that point is more productive more effective more lasting than the ministry of the man who wrote the first five books of the Bible that can't be a bad thing have we lost sight of that, I wonder? Can we see the glory of what's going on? Do we feel that when we come to church? New covenant ministry, find hope in that. It's glorious. Well, as a result of that, we need to be bold. That's our only other point this afternoon. And uh, it comes from verses 12 to 18. Here's a summary. Be very bold, because in Christ, the veil has been taken away. Be very bold. You know that, that word boldness, you see that in, uh, in verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12, that word for bold just characterizes people in the New Testament. All the way through the New Testament, people are described using that same word. Take the book of Acts. Acts 4, verse 31. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 9, 28. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Acts 13, 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you. And then the very last verse of the book Acts 28, 
verse 31. Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Unhinderedly is the word in the original. Boldness. And that's what characterized the Apostle Paul. That's why we find him so awkward sometimes, because he speaks so boldly. But he's doing what Jesus did. Jesus speaks boldly when he's explaining to his disciples that he's going to the cross. He speaks boldly about the Father in the Gospel of John. He speaks boldly about coming again. Now Paul says you don't get that sort of boldness in the Old Testament because everything's veiled. That's the word he uses. It's all veiled under the old arrangement. And he's really basing that on Exodus 34, verses 32 to 35. Let me read out that bit again from the second book of the Bible, right back in history. You see it up on the screen. When Moses finished speaking to them, that's God's people, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then quickly Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Everything to do with Moses happens behind a veil, Paul says. You know, the, the glory on his face has a sell-by date, like the yogurt going off at the back of your fridge. You know, it's not... It's not it's not going to last forever. And then he says people who, who trust solely in those rules that, that Moses wrote down have a, a veil over their hearts. It's like they're trying to see God through misted up glasses. It's happened to me quite a lot over the last 18 months, trying to see things through misted up glasses. If, you, if you're trying to live by God's rules... You won't see clearly what he's about. You won't get to know him. I thought, I thought for many years that following God was about keeping the rules, doing the right things, trying to keep God on side only a few brownie points spiritually. God says, if that's what you're thinking, you're not seeing me properly. But he says, un un under the new covenant that comes about through the blood of Jesus, remember those words that Jesus says as he goes to his death he said this is the new covenant in my blood under that arrangement you find freedom and change freedom and and transformation verse 16 have a look down at that chapter 3 verse 16 whenever anyone turns to the Lord the veil is taken away it's ripped off verse 17 now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, literally, it says we, we, it's like we're contemplating the Lord's glory in a mirror. That's the, that's the word in the original. In, 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 in that we're looking at God's glory and God's glory is shining into, into our face. We who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. That's a continuous word. It happens all the time. It's going to keep on going. Are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You know, as if, if you want that boldness, 
if you want the boldness of Jesus, then turn to him for it. Go to him. Because the Spirit changes human hearts. He's always changing our hearts all the time. And that's where you'll find the freedom to be the person that you were, that you were meant to be in, in, in God's eyes. Keep looking at the cross and you'll find the freedom to live for Jesus day by day. And you see that freedom in Paul. It is remarkable as you read about his life. And, you know, when Paul is on trial for preaching, he feels free to preach. And, 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 and when his, his life is at risk for speaking about Jesus, he feels free to speak about Jesus. <laughs> and, that, and that's why his life looked so messy and awkward. You know, people got upset about him and they threw him out of city after city because he'd found that freedom and change that came from Jesus and so he wasn't afraid. He was doing it, we said last week, for an audience of one. And that was God himself. Yeah, it doesn't look neat or tidy or successful or strong or impressive, but his heart had been unveiled. And so he crossed the pain barrier time and time again. You see the freedom of that? Freedom of living for Jesus and Jesus alone. You know, we, we, we get freedom all wrong sometimes you know we think we know what freedom is and i don't think we do we we think that freedom is being allowed to do what we want to do uh, i remembered a really frightening event uh this this week from my from my childhood uh it's okay i'm going to tell you the story but everything works out all right okay so don't you know don't 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 worry too much no no one was hurt uh in in this in this particular instant my mum was, um, she was bringing us up to, to look after ourselves. She was very keen on that, uh, that we should sort of learn independence. And so she parked at the far end of a car park. Uh, I was about seven, I think. My sister was about four. And um, my mum said to me, uh, you look after Laura. Um, I'm going to go into the supermarket. So she left us, uh, she left us alone in the car. And... Um, uh, I was looking after Laura uh, and she just screamed and screamed and screamed in the way that sisters sometimes do and, and brothers I should say um, but she screamed because she wanted to be with my mum so much and uh, in the end I got um, I got fed up so I just opened the door and I let her go into the car park that was all fine it was all <laughs> She, she's, she's still alive today, and we get on well. But we think freedom is being allowed to do what we want to do. But that's danger. Freedom is doing what we were made to do, and that is safety. And what we were made to do is to live boldly with hearts unveiled, not ashamed, not half-hearted, not apologetic, but relying on the Spirit. And so as, as we're going to see next week in chapter 4, verse 1, not losing heart, not losing heart in the ministry we've been given, but carrying on boldly. It's not easy, but the more we look to the gospel and the more we rely on his Spirit, the more we'll do what God has designed us to do.
So, guys, we've got a week ahead of us. And uh, I don't know what's in, your, what's in your diary. But I know that each one of us has a new covenant ministry if, if we've come to the cross through Jesus Christ. I just wonder if we've forgotten the glory of that. And we're called to be bold. I wonder if we've, um, wonder if we've been avoiding that. You know, maybe you haven't started out on that, on that journey yet. It's not too late. You know, if you turn to the Lord, you can turn to the Lord today and, and, and you'll know life instead of death. You'll know something permanent. You'll know righteousness, not condemnation. That's glorious. Or maybe you want to make progress on that journey. That transformation, it says, is going on all the time. It's the continuous thing. We're being transformed day by day. So go back to the gospel and contemplate the Lord's glory. And just join me in praying that over the next seven days, you know, however, however weak and, 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 and messy it looks, you know, that we'll take opportunities that they're, I don't know, at the water cooler at work will say, um, being a Christian for me is a glorious thing. It's an amazing thing to be forgiven. Uh, maybe chatting with your mum and dad on the phone if, if, they, if they're not Christians, say, do you know what? Um, mum, I'm so, so glad I'm a Christian. It means I've got something permanent to hold on to. Uh, when you're talking with your best friend, say how good it is, how amazing it is to be forgiven. Be bold. Join me in praying that over the next seven days we will be very bold as we enjoy the freedom that the new covenant brings. Why don't we pray? Let's pray. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Father God, I, I pray that we would see the glory of the ministry that we've been given and the ministry which is greater than the ministry that Moses had, that's permanent, that brings righteousness and brings life. And so I pray, Father, you give us the boldness that comes through the Spirit as we see Jesus dying for us, as we look to the gospel, as we ask for the Spirit. And so I pray, Father, that the truths of the new covenant will be on our lips this week, and I pray we take opportunities. I pray we'd be courageous. I pray we wouldn't lose heart in the ministry to which you've called us. And we ask these things in your name.